99 bugs in the code, 99 bugs in the code. Patch a bug, build it again, 107 bugs in the code. Oh, Well, I'm Michael Feenan, and this is Real Time Overview. Well, I hope that you're all having a fantastic start to your Wednesday and that you've all survived the switch to daylight savings time unscathed. I want to start off this week's episode by getting into the WordPress 5.0 update. This upcoming update will be bringing with it one of the most significant updates to the platform since it was created. The introduction of the Gutenberg editor to the content management system is going to bring with it an entirely new way of editing content. One that, judging from early user reviews, isn't really going to be accepted peacefully necessarily. Anytime a system introduces a major architectural change, this presents challenges to people that rely heavily on certain functionality. CrowdFavorite has put together a piece that aims to reassure users that this particular update poses planning challenges, but not technical ones. They've been testing transitioning sites between existing WordPress editing, third-party visual editor plugins, and Gutenberg with success. They wrap up with several questions to ask in order to mitigate the risk of the transition to Gutenberg. For my part, I encourage WordPress developers to keep up to date with Gutenberg news and look into testing the platform out. There's currently a plugin available that will let you preview the Gutenberg editor on a site to better understand what this change looks like for the future. This will help you familiarize yourself with not only how it looks and functions, but introduce you to what blocks are and what a post-shortcode world looks like. I'm curious to see myself how premium theme developers and visual editor plugin creators are going to adapt to the new editor moving forward. And stay tuned to the Drunken UX podcast. In the near future, we'll be releasing an episode where Aaron and I dive into the Gutenberg editor in more detail. The OpenAI Scholars program is launched with the goal of providing stipends for up to 10 developers from underrepresented groups to study deep learning AI over three months. They're putting emphasis on reinforcing diversity in the field to help ensure that the future of AI is focused on benefiting everyone. Participants in the program can expect an assortment of resources at their disposal. Besides the stipend, they'll also receive $25,000 in Amazon Web Services credit and access to a mentorship program. This is an awesome opportunity for folks interested in AI and deep learning and how they can use it to build systems to benefit people. The requirements aren't simple though, so if you're interested, we'll have a link in the show notes to the program where you can review the eligibility criteria and follow up with an application if you happen to fit the bill. Applicants have until March 31st to submit their interest, so don't miss out. Taking a trip over to CSS Tricks today can bring you Chris's recent post on alt text. Proper use of alt text might seem obvious, but it never hurts to review all the interesting use cases where using it may or may not be ideal. Chris notes some examples to consider, like images inside of buttons and fig captions where you don't want duplicate information read out. The emphasis to pay attention to here is specifically how it can impact things like screen readers 
and the confusion that can be caused by labeling decorative elements followed by more text. It's a short article that will only take you a couple of minutes to read through, but could give you some nice little tidbits of information to pass on. In particular, I happen to find that their approach to combining a fig caption with an aria hidden attribute pretty neat. If you're already a fan of Chris's content and enjoy web development podcasts, be sure you don't miss out on Shop Talk, hosted by Chris Coyer and Dave Rupert. You can check it out on your favorite podcast app or at shoptalkshow.com. Prototyper has put together their top 20 UX tools to try out from February. Their article lists all kinds of individual resources you can check out, broken down by purpose, to help you streamline your process or add to your toolbox. From icon packs to interesting projects, any web industry folks should be able to find something here to like. I, for one, can never get enough color utilities at my disposal because, well, I'm garbage when it comes to color theory. You can catch their roundup over at their site on Medium. The Interaction Design Foundation defines skeuomorphism in design as interface objects that mimic real-world counterparts in how they appear and or how the user can interact with them. For instance, if you have a media app where you turn a virtual knob to increase the volume. I set this up so that we can return to Prototyper a second time for an article by Michael Flarup, Bringing Back Skeuomorphic Design. Michael has put together a killer article where he reviews the thinking underlying a redesign he's been working on for a calendar app. In this piece, he juxtaposes the much-needed move in the minimalist design with the growing demand for character in designs. As our fields have collectively exploded in the last decade, we've been quick to run with the currents and leave behind the patterns of yore. Occasionally, as with skeuomorphic design, we look back in disgust at how silly some of these were, and we use those labels as a way of isolating the things we tell people to not do. But design, like many things, is fluid. Good design isn't necessarily skeuomorphic or minimalist. It's just good, and whatever needs to be done to empower that is. As Michael finishes, he points this out in a statement that design can be anything we want it to be. Design is creative. Design is an experiment. Design needs to challenge, even itself, in order to grow and evolve. This article in particular was an absolute highlight for my week. Most people looking for jobs working in the field of web development are likely to run into an interview challenge at some point. Not a challenging interview, though that could happen too. Rather, I'm talking about being asked to effectively take a test of some kind to show your skills. Matthew Stroms put out a piece about really bad design exercises on his blog that could be beneficial to anybody who does hiring or may in the future. Providing a test to a job applicant can be incredibly useful, and at times necessary, in order to ensure that they can tackle the work that you have planned for them. One of the challenges, though, is that these tests rarely reflect real work and can make evaluation difficult. He points out some of the traps of interview exercises, like requesting spec work, before going into a twist on the process to try and make it work better for everyone. That twist, honestly, turns out far more impressive than you might think. Instead of asking someone to do something good, ask them to do something bad. By flipping over the mattress on this process, 
as an interviewer you're still able to evaluate all the important factors while decreasing the stress on the applicant and allowing them to feel comfortable that you won't exploit their recommendations. Honestly, I started reading this article without a lot of expectation, but by the end was really surprised at how useful it seemed. Give it a read for yourself and think about how it could be expanded to code and analytics or other subjects. We wrap up this week over at Design and Sketch. Their article, Improve Your Landing Page by Learning from the Best, is a process tutorial to help you through the maze of effective lander layouts. They emphasize, through a hypothetical example, how to create something effective without reinventing the wheel. This includes finding other people successfully doing what you're trying to do, taking note of what trends seem to be consistent across brands, and how to identify what to put together to drive conversions for your product. It's not simply about copying a competitor. It's about determining what your audience will find familiar and easy to use while realizing that there is a current to successful design that meanders over time. At its core, this article is a helpful reminder for how you create a process to learn and execute on familiar tactical goals. As always, links to everything we've talked about in real-time overview today will be available at our website, drunkenux.com. Stay tuned to the Drunken UX podcast. We'll be returning on Monday with part two of Can You Take Me? Higher Ed. If you've got any suggestions for news that we can report on in real-time overview or subjects that you would like to hear us cover in Drunken UX, please stop by our website at drunkenux.com and leave your ideas there. You can also find us on twitter.com or Facebook at slash drunkenux or as always at our Slack channel via drunkenux.com slash Slack. As always, I'm Michael Feenan. This is Real-Time Overview and keep your personas close and your users closer.